Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh yeah. Talk Memphis. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn. Good morning, and welcome to Talk Money here on AM 990, where we'll help you focus on your financial future. I'm Keith Quinn, here with Jim Shoemaker. Jim, good morning. You know, boy, I tell you, if you listen to what's going on in the media, we have got, uh, I mean, yesterday the market uh, dropped almost a percent, a little over a percent. Right. And the reality is, um, I mean, you know, we talk a little bit about a black swan every now and then. I know I know. it's a sad thing that this Malaysian aircraft was shot down. And, again, we're going to find out more about that throughout the day. The news is you know, continuing to report new things happening all the time. They're down, I think, to just four or five people that they have not been able to decide right. which nationality. Reality is, though, are you more concerned about that in the Ukraine or is the Israeli crisis? I mean, the fact that we're looking at Hamas and what's going which one do you see as, uh, as creating or are they both equally problems? I think that, as you said, the Ukraine is an absolute tragedy. Uh, you know, there's some evidence to indicate that this was perhaps a, a mistake and that they intended to shoot down a military transport and got a civilian airliner. Big mistake. Uh, but 298 souls. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a big deal. But I think you're right. What's happening in Israel with the Palestinians in Gaza is a, a much bigger deal. Uh, you know, this is something that's played out over time. That has a bigger impact on the Middle East. And, of course, that's where we get a lot of oil from. And, you know, you, you think about this, Keith. We have a program today that we're going to discuss with Rusty Leonard, who is a, a, one of our you know faithful guests that we have on a regular basis. Uh, he is the CEO and the founder, of course, Stewardship Partners, uh, an economist. I mean, he knows. He's, a, he's in the trenches, knows a lot. The reality is, I guess— from, you know, you would have thought yesterday we, we saw the market correct. I mean, basically, you could almost go to exactly when the media pushed this out, and you can see the, the, you the can, trends right. sell off. Yet the futures today are up. Futures are up a little so, bit. So, you know, what what should we be expecting? What do you think about this? I mean, what does it say that's going on as far as the investor? Well, I think it you know, shows that disconnect that we talk about between what's going on in the econ- uh, with the world and then what's going on in the stock market. You, know, you would have thought, as you said, you know, with all of this uncertainty going on in Ukraine and the Middle East, that the market would have just been way off uh, and just really wasn't. So I think it's that disconnect between profits, which we're in the middle of, of you know, earnings season, season, and earnings you know, season. how earnings actually reflect on stock prices and what's going on in the world. And I think we're a little bit numb to some of this as well. Well, coming up, we have, of course, Rusty Leonard, as we said. We also have Jonathan McAllister with us today. He's really going to talk a little bit about putting this market correction that we've talked about, right. pullbacks, correction. In fact, I'm going to get into the definition of a pullback or a correction. Uh, I think it's good for people to get a good handle on that. But I, he's going to, in the second half of the program, really put it in perspective. I mean, we're going to listen to Rusty give us a lot of data, a lot of thought process, go through that with us to help us understand it. But if you look at the second half, Jonathan's going to tie it into really what the investor needs to be thinking about. Because that's what's ultimately important. And we talk about that a lot as investor sentiment. And we've recently seen a survey that at the beginning of the year, 43% of investors would have described themselves as bullish. 
But by July 6th, or July 9th, excuse me, that's dropped to 38%. So investors are less bullish on the market than they were. And isn't that kind of an indicator of this desire, or or maybe not desire, but this thought process that we're going to have a correction, and therefore I'm going to, you know, not invest and... And I think, you know, perhaps some of us in the financial services industry need to take a little bit of responsibility for this. And that we have talked about a correction a lot because it is inevitable, but that doesn't mean it's coming next month or even next year. Well, and Jonathan's going to help us put that in perspective. perspective And, of course, Rusty always helps us understand some of the economics. And really, I think the key is um, knowing a little bit. In fact, the first question we're going to get with him is, all the stuff that's going on with the president. I can't wait for you to ask him that question. He has not had a good uh, year so far. (laughs) No, he hasn't. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Stick around. We're going to take a quick look at traffic weather, see what's going on in New York with Market Watch, but we will be right back with Rusty Leonard, a chartered financial analyst, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. So stick around. You're listening to Talk Money here on AM 990. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. You know, we have a guest. uh, Rusty does a wonderful job. And I guess one of the thoughts that I just to talk about with him, and I know you've got a question you want to lead right into it, but the S&P has gone 59 trading days through. Now, this is through July the 11th. Okay. Okay. So 59 trading days without experiencing at least a 1% up or down. Now, yesterday was real close. I mean, real, real close, but it didn't quite happen. And, you know, if you look at that, that's that movement up and down, the the, the real volatility, a 1% gain or loss from the closing value of the previous day or anything like that. So that's the longest stretch the S&P has gone without a 1% change since December of 1995. That's a little surprising. It is surprising. And yet we talk about correction. We talk about pullbacks. We talk volatility about all and... the volatility. So I'm excited about the fact that we have a guy today that's going to put a lot of this in perspective for us. Well, I think, Rusty, let's just go ahead and let him address that, and then I want to ask you something else, uh, because I think this is a, a really good question, and I think everyone wants to know the well, answer. welcome then, Rusty Leonard. Rusty he is Leonard. the CFA and a founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, a regular guest with us on Talk Money. And, Rusty, welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Well, again, what do you think? I mean, this volatility thing, uh, is this something that we should be surprised about, or is this uh, normal, or what should the listener be thinking about when we tell them that we literally have gone since December of 1995, this longest stretch of uh, a 1%, you know, a, a, you know, change? Let's just haven't had those. That's 60, 59 days, trading days with not a 1% change. Well, I guess my first thought is enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> it's not going to last forever. It's, so it's can, not written in the history that. books, right? What's that? It's not written in the history books. I mean, it is, the, you know, one thing that we say, yes, it's gone past, but it's not going to go like it is in the future, which we always say past performance is not an indication of the future performance. But I think Rusty is, is so right. Wouldn't that be great if we just keep <laughs> gradually <laughs> growing without any volatility? Well, by the way, it would be great returns. because Rusty wouldn't have a job. You wouldn't yeah, have a job. Right. I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> Rusty, what's your thoughts? So you're right. I mean, you, I agree with you. You know, enjoy it while it lasts. So, but what do you tell the listener? What do you say to them that says, oh, 
oh, this is great. I mean, you know, you've got people that maybe didn't experience 2008. Maybe they didn't experience 2001, 1998, 1987, those years that we saw a huge crash. What do you tell these people that saying, hey, it's just going up. It just goes up. Yeah, well, you know, it is going just going up, and it's going up at a, at a gradual pace, which is a pretty healthy type of uh, way of going up. If, if the market was racing ahead and you know, up a percent every day or something like that, that would be more like a, a bubble period. But actually, it's it's moving along at a nice pace, and uh, you know, like I said, enjoy it while it lasts. It won't last forever, but it could last for a little while. Obviously, we did have a one percent decline yesterday, so that kind of broke the uh, right. That did break the, the uh, cycle. Broke, broke the cycle, but uh, it could start up again and, and go on for another one uh, because the economy is moving at a very stable rate. It's not too fast, not too hot, it's not too cold. It's Goldilocks economy, uh, and corporate earnings are moving ahead, and there's really not a lot of risk on the, um, or at least up until now, there hasn't been a ton of risk on the monetary policy side of the equation. The uh, And the budget deficit on the fiscal policy side, budget deficits, has been getting better and better and is now at 2.9%, which is a 2.9% deficit, federal budget deficit, which is less than the 31-year average of 3.1% for federal budget deficits. So, so you know, basically we're, we're in a pretty good time uh, for the market. The things that the market cares about are not jumping around, so the market's not jumping around. Well, Rusty, when we look at that and we're looking at the deficits, and I agree, you know, improving this will be the lowest deficit we've run since uh, the crisis began in 2008. But then we see all the things that are going on in the headline with the administration. I mean, Iraq with ISIS kind of falling apart, you know, what's going on in Syria, the IRS scandal, the VA, the immigration crisis with all the kids crossing the border. And we see all of these things, and yet the market just seems to shrug this off and, as you said, continue to gradually move higher. How is that and why is that? Yeah, the why of it is pretty easy. None of these things, at the moment at least, are going to impact corporate earnings or interest rates or anything that investors are worried about on a daily basis. So they watch these things. The market is watching this. Investors like myself are looking at it and saying, well, I'm going to keep a close eye on that, but I really don't have to worry about it because it's not going to affect General Electric's earnings next month. And uh, General Electric is still going to make a ton of money regardless of what happens in the Ukraine or what happens at the border or what happens in the VA. Uh, none of those things are going to impact corporate earnings or interest rates or any of the other factors that Im- impact stock prices. So the market keeps an eye on it, and they may react like they did yesterday to, uh, to the results and the, you know, the problems in the Gaza and, uh, and in Ukraine. But, uh, you know, those will be temporary factors unless they impact corporate earnings. Rusty, when you talk about the corporate earnings, you talk about the deficit, the fact that it's, you know, it's, there seems to be, as I listen to you, a certain degree of optimism. And I, I find a lot of people today, even though we've, we've read recently that, you know, as just Keith said earlier, that we've gone from somewhat people being bullish to, to, to bearish, uh, the percentage has declined. But there are those people that I listen to a lot that are you know bullish, and they're beginning to get interested in getting in the market, people that have not been in the market. Would you? What would you say? Are these people going to be kind of what you used, you know we used to call them the Johnny Come Latelys? Is that what we? Is that what's going to happen? Well, there's definitely a risk of that, but I, I'm not certain that that's uh, true just yet. Uh, you know, as I said, things are moving ahead pretty pretty well, but it's not like the economy is overheating. Uh, the, the economy still has plenty of slack in it, so that the government. You know, the Federal Reserve, which is still very accommodative to, uh, to investors and to the markets and to the economy overall by keeping interest rates low, they can continue to do that for a while 
And as long as they're willing to do that, and as long as there isn't uh, the economy isn't overheating, then there's a good chance that there could be further upside in the markets. Uh, there are a lot of people right now who are concerned that valuations are getting a little bit stretched and that stocks are getting a little too expensive. In the U.S., that's definitely true, but outside the U.S., not so much. And um, you know, so you got to be careful. It's definitely a time when you don't want to be uh, rushing in you know, full bore, but it's, I don't think it's to the point yet where it's, uh, we're in danger of a uh, 2008-style collapse unless something you know, out of the ordinary impacts the world. So, Rusty, uh, thinking about that, how do you think about all of the cash? Because we've talked about that a lot, all of the cash that's on the sidelines. And if investor sentiment shifts and that comes back into the market, would that create the risk of creating a 2008-type bubble uh, if we had that cash? Well, let me ask this question, the same thing. If, you, if we saw a correction or we saw something that said, okay, maybe there's an issue here where we, we saw a, a pullback or so, would the extra cash that's on the sideline cause that pullback as we saw in February only last 20, 30, 40, 45, 90 days maybe, something very short? Is, is the extra cash a good thing or is that a bad thing? Oh, it's definitely a good thing for the longevity of the market's rise and for keeping any inevitable uh, downfalls in the market uh, less than they otherwise would be. As long as the economy is you know, growing, moving ahead, corporate earnings moving ahead, and uh, there's not a big inflationary uh, issue, there's good reason to expect any declines in the market to be somewhat you know, muted. Uh, and that cash, you know, is, there is, you're right, there's still a lot of cash on the sidelines. Uh, and so that's one of the indicators. So some people saying now that we're already in a bubble, you know, you have, you have a lot of doomsayers out there, of course. That's right. One of the things that uh, indicates to me that we're not in a bubble is that there's still a ton of cash on the sidelines. A lot of people haven't moved back into the market yet. And uh, so that's, that's something that I think uh, is really a positive. And what? while there will be inevitably be a, a downturn, and it may start, you know, may start it yesterday. It may be that we're going into a downturn now. We're going to go down 10 or 12 percent in the market or something like that over the next few months. Who knows? Nobody can know that in advance, of course. Uh, but it doesn't seem to me that all the preconditions are, are there for a, a big sell-off. And, in fact, as you point out, with all the cash there, there's kind of a precondition for more of a bubble environment as that cash gets deployed and people get kind of emotionally drawn into the market as it rises and rises and rises. So I think there's probably a greater risk of a bubble at this stage of the game than there is of a, of a big sell-off. Well, that makes sense. I guess when I, I guess when the economy, as you mentioned, the economy, we've seen basically a sluggish kind of a kind of a muddling economy, nothing great. And, you know, I, I've read recently that there's some predictions, economists, you know, looking at predictions for a 3 percent type of growth for the rest of the year, kind of averaging out over the period of the whole 12 month for 2014, somewhere around 1.92 percent. You know, I guess what I'm thinking, I mean, Keith, is, I mean, we kind of talk about that a lot. Right. Does the, does a, the volatility of the market and the GDP, do they tie together? Rusty, maybe you can help us with that. And Keith, you've got a question for him. I mean, thoughts, Rusty? Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a, a situation where the economy is looking like it's going from the what I described as a Goldilocks economy, where it's not too hot or not too cold. You know, it's, it's, it's just right. Uh, and, it, and it looks like it's going to continue in that, that role. You know, if you've got 3% growth in the United States of America, that's just right. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not growing too fast. It's not too, so the inflation is not a problem. It's not doing, growing too slow. So the corporate earnings are, are declining or falling off. So it's really a pretty good environment. Like I said, that's kind of a, one of the preconditions for uh, for people kind of getting overly excited about stocks and pushing us into another bubble, which is not a good thing. It's not something we want. And I suspect if that starts to happen, 
the Federal Reserve chairman and other governors of the Federal Reserve will start yakking away about you know how they're going to raise rates if things get out of out of hand. So um, I think that I don't think we'll end up in a stock market bubble again. But there is some risk of it because a number of preconditions exist for that. Well, Rusty, let me ask you one question about a couple of numbers we've seen this week. When you talk about the Goldilocks economy, uh, and I want you to explain, number one, what your take is on these, but why they're important so our listeners can understand that. So we saw retail sales, and it uh, climbed two-tenths of a percent, but that was pretty far off of what the estimate was. Uh, the consensus I saw was for about a tick, uh, 6% increase, a 0.6% increase, excuse me. So that was a little bit off of the consensus estimate. And then we saw housing starts yesterday, and housing starts were down 9.3%. Now we're past the winter. We've gotten past that, but both of these affect the economy. So what's your take on that and how does that uh, affect? But let me, let me ask him this question because I think it's, you're tying it together. Rusty, if, if we were trying to, to create alarmist, we could take those data, that particular data, those, those statistics and create this deep, dark picture in a matter of, you know, two minutes that says the economy is going to implode this summer. But you're telling us that there's a lot of reasons why not. So take those numbers. I know they're bad. They're not They're not great no. numbers, but I wouldn't say they're bad numbers. But I'd like for our listeners to get it from someone who's in the trenches, who's not doing a, a television program and, and trying to make sure that he's got his <laughs> listening audience up. To trying to billion. rile people up, right? That's, that's right. right. Exactly. So talk uh-huh. about that yeah, because that's... this is what our listeners desperately need to hear is somebody who's thinking – and and yet, you know, who's making decisions every day, not doing television. So talk about it. That's right. Yeah, you have to try your best to keep a balanced approach. And a lot, of, as you point out, a lot of these commentators on television, some radio uh, channels and such, and in the written you know, on the internet, everywhere you go, you're going to find a small slug of people who are just trying to rally you up, get you emotionally exhausted, <laughs> and, and just cause you to make bad decisions. Exactly. So and you it, have to and really, really discipline yourself. Yeah, change you from a long-term investor to a short-term. And yeah. Jonathan's going to talk about that. But that's what happens. It makes you so emotional, and we talk about that all the time, that you can't really stay in the market the way you should. But Keep going. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I really think no, that's, that's important. All right. So you, you got to you got to work hard to, to keep a balanced approach and, and to look at everything and, and that you can. So in other words, as you point out, those guys will use the say the housing statistics and say, "Gosh, I'm down 9.3 percent. We're at the uh, <laughs> at the edge of another uh, housing disaster." Exactly. Well, housing is weak right now. Interest uh, mortgage rates have creeped up a little bit. Uh, there's a, the banks. One of the reasons housing is doing poorly is because the banks are being much more selective as who they lend money to. So there have been a whole bunch of people who have been cut out of the housing market, and that's a problem. The other thing that's impacting the housing market on the low end is the student loans, and that is a problem. But it's not the end of the world. It's a, it's a problem for that sector of the economy, but our economy is this huge global economy that has many compensating parts to it. And all of these things, the retail sales number, it was still higher. It wasn't lower. It wasn't as high as we'd like it to be. But actually, the fact that it was lower is a positive, in my view, because it means that the economy isn't overheating. The Fed can keep interest rates lower for longer, and the marketplace will enjoy kind of a, a nice environment where it doesn't have to worry about inflation and those types of things. So that's how uh, a professional investor would look at some of those numbers and, uh, and you know, put them in context and not panic over them. Well, again, I think keeping it in, in perspective, not panicking, not becoming short-term. I mean, the knee-jerk reactions of emotions are so, so terrible. I know we, we've got to take a break here in a second, but I guess I want to ask you the question, and when we come back, this is where I want us to go. You're, you're, you've pretty much laid this picture out that says, I mean, we've got uh, taking the emotions out. The economy is kind of chugging along. GDP, we expect to be around 3% 
by the end, you know, focused on the last uh, two months, uh, two quarters of the year, going to end up around 1.9 to 2%. That's not terrible. And you, you've talked about the Goldilocks. So when you come back, I want to talk, I want you to tell us what you think about Europe, Japan, and emerging markets. And of course, everybody knows we're not recommending anything. We just want to hear Rusty's thoughts on those three economies and how they fit. And I'm not sure I can wait that long to hear Rusty's <laughs> thoughts, but we'll try and do that. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Of course, you can always listen to us in one of four ways, either on the radio at AM 990, go onto the Internet, look for our homepage, kwam990.com, and just click on Watch and Listen Live. Uh, go to the App Store, search for our free mobile app, KWAM 990, and listen to us on your mobile device, or go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial Talk Money and listen to our podcast. Stick around. We will be right back with Rusty Leonard. But first, let's go to Charles Osgood for The Osgood File. Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Of course, Talk Money is brought to you every week by Shoemaker Financial, which has been providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service throughout the Mid-South since 1978. At Shoemaker, it is not about the plan. It's about the results. You know, we are fortunate to have Rusty Leonard, who is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, a dear friend and a trusted advisor, one that I, I mean, just like what he says. I mean, he goes through the process. It's not... I mean, he doesn't he doesn't try to talk in language. He could. I mean, he Definitely could get could. us out of here quickly. But he keeps it very simple, and our listeners enjoy him. We get a lot of comments from people listening about when Rusty's on the program and the fact that he brings things down to our level and helps us understand. And that, that's an actual quote from a, from a listener. And I appreciate our listeners who send us anything. And if you've got a question for us, Anytime, all you have to do, or a comment, or you want to criticize, we don't mind. Oh, I don't know that we've opened it up to comments, <laughs> but uh. <laughs> I had a professor that used to say it at the close of everything when he do his lectures. He said, "Well, you have questions, comments, or snide remarks." Oh, snide remarks, right? <laughs> but uh, the reality is, if you have a question, or a comment, or a snide, or a snide remark, remark, send it to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial dot com. Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial dot com. A question we always try to get to questions on the. So, in fact, Jonathan McAllister, who's coming up in the second half of the program, is going to be answering a question about market correction and how you deal with it and putting the market correction in perspective, because that came from a question that a listener had given us. So that's Jonathan McAllister coming up here in about seven minutes. Now, uh, Rusty's on the phone with us. And, Rusty, before the break, we talked about we kind of said, OK, U.S. economy's muddling along, doing OK, going to finish up the year around one point nine percent to two. And and everybody's OK. We talked about the housing uh, issues and how we see that on the media. Sometimes they take things and blow it out of proportion. But let's move into Europe. And I guess I want to make sure that everybody understands that if we're talking about, you know, an investment Anytime we're talking about anything, just please understand we're not making a recommendation. And in international investing especially, in addition to risk, it may include some currency fluctuations that you need to be sensitive about, political, social, economic instability, <laughs> all of the above. And so you have to be sensitive to that before you make an investment. And Randy Rusty is not ta- talking about uh, making this investment. We're just asking him. What's his take on Europe, Japan, China, the whole bit, and emerging markets? So, Rusty, I've kind of muddled through that a long, long dissertation. 
for a question, and the question to make sure everybody knows exactly what I'm asking, <laughs> what's your thoughts on global investing going on right now? Well, you know, we've talked about how the U.S. is doing well and how its uh, the stock market has you know, reflected that as well, and valuations are starting to get a little stretched in the U.S., well, none of those things are true outside of the U.S. because the U.S. is ahead of all the other regions of the world in terms of its economic recovery from the 2008 crash. Uh, and it's all those, the fact that we're ahead is reflected in share prices. But in Europe, their, their crash, they had the 2008 crash, and they had a big disaster in 2011 as well. And they're still in the recovery process. They're in the early phase of it. Uh, Japan is still trying to recover from its uh, its problems way back in the in the late 1980s and early 1990s, and they're starting to uh, show some signs that they're maybe finally, after several decades, coming out of that. Uh, in China, of course, you have a bubble uh, in place, essentially an economic bubble, not so much a, a market bubble, but the economy has been blown up by debt uh, to, to try to prop it up. Uh, they may be able to sustain that because it's a communist nation. And uh, they can control a lot of the levers. And if, if a bank over here in XYZ city was about to go bankrupt, the government can rush in there behind the scenes, fix that bank up or prop it up at least, and uh, you know, delay the, the day of uh, destiny that is eventually going to probably come. So, uh, so there's a whole lot of issues all around uh, the world that are still a lot, a lot more sketchy than what we have here in the U.S., and, of course, because it's a lot more sketchy, that also is reflected in the stock prices outside the U.S. So stock prices outside the U.S. tend to be cheaper. You tend to pay less, you get higher dividend yields, and you still have uh, more upside potential as these regions go about solving their problems. But your, your you know, statement at the beginning there about all the risks involved are, are good ones because there are risks involved. And uh, the U.S. is a much more stable uh, entity at this stage of the game, believe it or not. Uh, and uh, one place where I would say that things are both cheap and don't look so terribly unstable is the emerging markets. But there are risks because these are still – even though these emerging markets have pretty much emerged in, in most cases, they are fully emerged. We still refer to them as emerging markets, and they still have uh, some risks involved there too. But they are, there's growth in the emerging markets, and there's value in the emerging markets. In Europe – there is some risk in Europe that we may actually ha that it might turn into a Japan that we may end up uh, with a couple of decades of no growth and fighting deflation the whole way along. So there's some risk of that in, in Europe. So you have to be cognizant of that. Not true in the emerging markets; they offer some opportunities. Well, so what I mean, Japan and China, you got you know some bigger problems you might yeah. have to deal with. But go ahead. What I what I'm hearing you say, to make sure, I, is there are risks. I mean, you need to look at political turmoil. You need to look at uh, changes in the economy, changing in the cur I mean, the currency risk, economic conditions. But if if you're going through that process, emerging markets has a lot of opportunity because it sounds to me what you're saying is it's a pretty good buy right now. It is, yeah. And it started, you know, for a long time it went down, even though the corporate earnings were going up. It was kind of bizarre. Mm. So for several years, the emerging markets were in decline, even though companies were doing better. So that created tremendous value. Uh, starting in about March, probably the last time we talked, April and March, April, that time period, the emerging markets seemed to turn. And hopefully that'll be something that will, will continue to be the case. The big weight on the emerging markets is China. And uh, everybody knows that China is, is a bubble. Uh, an economic bubble uh, fueled by that debt that we talked about. And so there's always some risk that that might blow up. And uh, if that does blow at some point in time, if the Communist Party there is unable to you know, keep control of the system and it finally falls apart, all the emerging markets would be impacted. Whether they should be or not, they will be. Hmm. And uh, in fact, all the markets around the world would probably be impacted to some degree. 
again, whether it's legitimate or not, they would be uh, just because of the, the trading aspect of, of this. Uh, so there are risks out there, even for the United States, in the case of some of these other things going wrong. But right now, it doesn't appear that any of those things are going wrong. Things do seem to be moving in the right direction, and there's better value outside the U.S. outside the U.S. than there is inside the U.S. Good. That's great insights on the market. But now, Rusty, I want to ask you about my very favorite subject. Hey, Rusty, get ready for this, man. Because, I mean, hey, I stay away from this many, many moons way, way back in the back. So I'm actually going to push the microphone away. I may leave the studio. But, but this, is, this is Keith's question. Right. Well, I think okay. I feel like a, a lot of the country does and that I am pretty, uh, pretty sick of what's been going on in Washington, D.C. I know if you look at the approval ratings of the president, of the Congress, uh, they're abysmal and because it just doesn't seem like we can get anything done. We've got a fairly important election coming up in November. In November. What are the chances that this election will have any impact uh, on the markets? Uh, and what do you think for the elections in November, Rusty? What are we looking at from the macro point of view? Uh, I really don't think you're going to see much of an impact on the markets. I, I think it'll be pretty much more the same. Now, the Republicans may pick up some ground in the Senate. They almost certainly will pick up ground in the Senate. They may even take control of the Senate. And uh, that would, I guess, amp the pressure up on the president to some degree. But it, you would still have a divided government. Uh, this president is not a president that indi- has any shown any indication that he's uh, kind of an LBJ guy who gets in there and does deals with uh, the opposing members of Congress or whatever. He just uh, you know stands his ground, and of course the Republicans are standing their ground. And you know what? It's kind of working. Uh, you know, we the deficit has de- decreased dramatically, and uh, you know we shouldn't be all that upset if there isn't much of a change in Washington because if they can't do anything. That's probably a good thing for the market. <laughs> Gridlock is good sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess what we just said uh, is that uh, if they can't do it, I like that, Rusty. If they can't do anything, it's not going to hurt us. And that's kind of right. what's going on, I guess. You know, Rusty, you because always The economy's go, healing on its own. It's yeah, a fine job without their help. So. Exactly. So if they stay away from it, maybe we just keep right on going on up. But, boy, think how good we well, would be doing if we had some good fiscal policy. Well, coming that's out of true. DC. That's true. Rusty, you were going to say something? I just said, leave well enough alone. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, if we had a bunch of statesmen down in Washington, D.C., they could do a lot of good. But uh, we know that the, uh, the you know, possibility of that is pretty low. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, Rusty gives us great insight. Great insights. And, uh, Rusty, I always appreciate you being here. You do, you do exactly what we need from a guest, and that is you bring technical data into a conversational type of thing with us, and we definitely appreciate it very much, sir. You're a dear friend and a great person, and uh, I appreciate you. Have a great weekend, sir, and uh, blessing us to your family, okay? And you as well. Thank you for all those kind comments. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Rusty. You know, coming up, we've got Jonathan McAllister, and and I and I appreciate what Rusty gave us a tremendous amount of of insight as far as. And again, I want to remind everybody, he's not recommending emerging it's markets. Not a, there's right. uh, there's a lot of risk there. You need to be sensitive about the risk, and uh, but he just simply is comparing the U.S. economy to emerging markets economy. There are some great buys out there. You're just taking in a lot of risk that you're not taking most of the time with domestic equities. And that's just something we want our listeners to know. That's not what he, what he was saying. But Jonathan is going to put something into perspective. And, and this is, I, I so much appreciate, very knowledgeable young man, does a he great is. job with us. But he's going to put market corrections or pullbacks. I'm going to get you to give us the definition of a pullback and the definition
suspicion of a correction. It's going to put all that into perspective when we come back. And I am excited about having Jonathan with us. I am excited as well. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on Talk Money. But now we're going to go to Rebecca Brazier for a Mid-South History Moment. Stick around. We will be right back with Jonathan McAllister to discuss market corrections. You're listening to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. You know, and again, I want to remind our listeners that uh, what we're trying to do is this this thing that you hear so much on the media today, a correction, a pullback, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, you know, sometimes we beat that to death. And, I mean, it's almost like we anticipate it, so therefore we predict it, so therefore it happens. Uh, but I know a lot of people that have been saying since January of 2013, that Definitely we're, that we're going to have a correction. And, of course, they've missed a huge run in the market all of 2013. And 2014, we had a little five and a half, five and a quarter percent return, you know, drop a little bit. And we called that a pullback. A pullback. All right. Now, I want to make sure that everybody understands. A pullback, give us the definition. Right. So a pullback is a, a decline in the market up to 10 percent. So nine and a half percent nine is a pullback. a pullback. We don't ever. And a pullback occurs. Well, they recur fairly frequently. Uh, you know, we see those on average about one and a half to every two years. And so uh, that's that's excuse me. We see the correction about one and a half to every two years. Okay. We see pullbacks more frequently, more than frequently that. than that. And a pullback can be, as you said, anywhere from one to two percent up to up to nine point nine percent. And it just kind of moves itself around. That's called the volatility of the market. Right. The, the, what we talked about earlier that we haven't really seen lately. We haven't seen those one percent moves either to the upside or downside. Except for yesterday. Right. We had Except for yesterday. 59 which was broke days. The streak, the 59 you know, day streak. Right. Straight without doing that. The longest since 1995, December of 1995. So I guess my point being is pullbacks should happen. Should we happen. Should do get, happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and so far we've been kind of non-pullback oriented. But we're talking about a correction. Correction. What's the definition of a correction? Okay, a 10% drop in the market would be a correction. So the S&P 500 drops 10%. That counts as a technical correction. Now, since 1945, at the end of World War II, we've only had 27 10% corrections. When we drop further, if we drop 20%, when we hit the 20% level, we call that a a bear market. We've only had 12 full-blown bear markets since Since 1945. Right. So while they are inevitable, sometimes you will go years without having a correction. From 1990 to 1997, the S&P 500 never dropped 10%. So even though we say a correction is inevitable, we are in no means implying that it's next week, next month, next year, because we just don't know. All right. Okay. With that in mind, our guest, Jonathan McAllister, is one of our advisors in the office, very knowledgeable young man, does a great job helping his clients. And, of course, if you're listening and you would like to talk to Jonathan, all you have to do is call us at the office at 757-5757. Jonathan, uh, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, let me let me talk, kind of set this up. Since 2013, I mean, if you think about it, we've had people that have forgotten that stocks should actually move up and down. Keith, if you think about it, they should. I mean, you know, it should be some kind of a volatility thing. And we've gone from 2013, a banner year, not the norm. In fact, Bob Dahl made he said when Rusty said, you know, uh, it's just not the norm. And um, it'd be great if things did continue this way. But that's just not the way it's going to work. So uh, we're looking at corrections that happen. And, and so I wanted to take the time with you, Jonathan, is to put this in perspective. Market corrections are normal. So help our listeners understand when we say market corrections are normal. They absolutely are normal. 
you look at any given year and you're going to have declines of more than 5% three or four times within that time frame. Um, they're normal. They're healthy. They should be expected. The, the investor who goes in and wants to see a positive return all the time, the market continuously climbing, like Rusty said, that's when you're approaching that bubble stage of the market. That's when we get into trouble. That's where things become overvalued. When they're artificially inflated. Right. So when you say artificially inflated, that's that, that's that bubble that's mentality, that bubble. which he was talking about. So if a pullback, and again, we have the definition of a pullback, anything less than 10%, correction, anything greater than 10%. So are we anticipating, Keith, a correction this year? I mean, do you, do you feel that that's going to happen? I, and you've got me at a loss for words, which I shows you it. how I am on that question. I, I don't know. I would have thought it would have happened by now if we were going to happen. You know, we see a lot of things in the market. Sometimes we have lower volatility over the summer. We still have a lot going on internationally, and it doesn't seem to be moving the markets uh, off its mark. Uh, some of that's due to quantitative easing. As Rusty said, it's more primarily driven by earnings. Uh, so I don't see anything on the macro front that would call for a correction. But as you said earlier, it's the black swan events. It's the things that we can't anticipate, and no one knows when those are going to happen, and no one knows how big of an impact that will have. Well, let's go back to January of 2013 all the way up through last Friday. It's just consistently grow. Now, we did have a, a, a pullback in, in January, last part of January. And, Jonathan, I think as markets go up, I mean, as you think, analysts have missed it. I mean, analysts have looked at this last 18 months has been, you know, I mean, Rusty would say it. It's not the norm. And there, there's this area that we say, okay, is, is it, are we overpriced? And Rusty said no. Jonathan, are we overpriced at this point? Is the market out of control? You know, it, it's kind of up in the air. It's um, like you said, the analysts predicted it was going to happen early 2013. It didn't happen. We saw a 6% decline in January. It's since recovered from that. So are we are we overvalued? I don't know. But, you know, a lot of investors are saying, but I can't put money into it. So they're holding money back. Right. And we see that right now where they just keep holding and keep holding. So let's talk about this. If you're not going to put money in the market, then, then give me kind of this idea behind, you know, what would cause a pullback? What would cause a pullback? I mean, again, Understanding that it's going to happen, what do we see as the symptoms or what would we say would be the, the, you know, the reasons for a pullback? I think first you have to look at really what drives stock earnings in the first place. The four major things are investor sentiment, corporate earnings, economic data, and growth prospects for the near future. A hit to any one of those four, you're going to start to see a pullback. So let's talk about investor sentiment. Is this, Keith, in your mind, the, the side of this nervousness that we're going to have a pullback so that we don't do anything? That goes back to your statistic earlier that the reality is we've gone from very, very bullish, you know, 40-something percent, right. dropped down to 30-something percent, saying nope. And so there's a decline in that bullish mentality. That's investor sentiment. That's investor sentiment, and that has a real impact. Uh, when investors get uh, concerned about the markets or pull money out of the market, now the you know the flip side of that is investors get excited about that return last year and put money into the market. But investor sentiment's a big deal. Anytime you get into a situation where, as we call it, is a risk-off trade, anything that drives that sentiment to make people scared of the market will absolutely fuel the drop you know and so so we we think about that jonathan i guess corporate earnings we're in the season of the second quarter corporate earnings and at this point things looking pretty good so i mean that doesn't seem to be a problem what are your thoughts no no i mean i mean since 2008 corporate earnings have tended to be pretty solid um as we move forward 
you know, further into earnings season. We'll see how that develops. Obviously, that's one of the big four things that we're going to look at. But another thing, too, you know, outside the big four is really macroeconomic policy. You look at things like Keith mentioned earlier, the uh, current crisis in Ukraine, the crisis in Gaza. How is that affecting us? That's going to play into it more, even though the the big four have been solid. We saw yesterday the market dropped 160 points just off the news of Gaza. Yeah, and, you know, we did tie that right into you report the news, boom, here's what happens. That's right, it, it, and that is sentiment. Yeah, that is. That gets because, quick. as Rusty said, that didn't alter the fundamental characteristics no. of any company yesterday. Their earnings weren't right. worse. Their P.E. didn't change, uh, but they still dropped. Yeah. So now, okay, we've said there's four possibilities that we could see that could create this pullback. And we've talked about from an equity standpoint, it depends on – Several factors. We've identified four. Number one, investor sentiment. Number two, corporate earnings. Number three, economic data. I mean, we're seeing that the GDP is probably moving in the right direction and headed up. In fact, we're saying predicting a 3% at the end of the year. Thoughts, Jonathan? Whether or not we hit it, like I said before, I don't know. I think we're going to hit probably around 2.6, 2. 2.7. Okay. Um, it's been a little bit slower this year, obviously, than it was last year. But it still remains to be seen. Um, we haven't finished out earnings season yet, and we're still in the summer months. So we were talking before the show, we're in a low trading volume environment right now. And I appreciate his willingness to get out on a limb and say 2.6 and 2.7. That is a good prediction, And Jonathan. at the same time, he says, I don't know, because we don't we know. We don't know. And no, we the don't. reality is what we're talking about is what people are saying, much smarter than we are. But the reality is we have to think about what is being said. 2.6, 2.8, 3% somewhere. It's going to end up probably at the end of the 12 of the twelve month year, 2014, somewhere around 2%. And the actual number, I think, and as we talk about a lot, it's kind of irrelevant. What we're talking about is growth, it's and growth. we're growing. As long as it's growing, you're right. exactly right. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on AM 990. Now let's go to traffic and weather, see what's going out around town, check out what is happening with the stock market in New York. Uh, we will be right back to finish discussing market corrections with Jonathan McAllister. Stick around. Welcome back to Talk Money. I'm Keith Quinn with Jim Shoemaker. We're speaking with Jonathan McAllister. You know, and you gave us some statistics, Keith, earlier on that said since World War II, that, uh, that's 1945, there have been 27 corrections of 10% or more. And what we're talking about with Jonathan is they put it in perspective, you know, correction, because, again, we've had a pullback this year. We, we define what a pullback right. was, anything less than 10 percent. But when you talk about 27 per corrections of 10 percent or more versus 12 full-blown bear market corrections, here's what I think people need to keep in mind. When you look at that statistic, it equates to one correction roughly every 20 months. Right. All right. So that's put know, that in perspective. But, uh, you know, when you look at some data that we've been able to put together for this program, it says that really 25% of those corrections over the last 66 years occurred. Now, that's 25% occurred in the 70s. Right. I remember that period of time. This was the golden age for market timers. And if they could really work the market timing and they hit it, you know, got it correct. In fact, statistical data that came out from the modern portfolio theory said you had to hit it 75% of the time. And much more inefficiencies Whoa. in the markets in the 70s. And, and you didn't have near the problem. So I think the reality is that uh, that we need to be sensitive to what we're trying to tell people. So, Jonathan, in conclusion about anticipating and putting it in perspective, what would our listeners need to know? They need to know it's a natural part of the business cycle of correction, 
But how would you couch this for clients and, it, and our listeners? It absolutely is. At a market correction, a market pullback, it's all normal. It's going to happen. It's not going to be avoided. Uh, we are not market timers. We never claim to be market timers. It always goes back to the plan. You know, what is our end goal? As long as we hit that end goal, we should be able to tolerate those ups and downs. And, you know, one thing that a market pullback or correction gives us the opportunity to do is go back with a client and review their risk tolerance and how their appetite for risk, really how much risk can they take on? You know, if the market is down 10%, can they stomach that? Can they keep going day to day? Or is that where we need to go in and make a readjustment to the portfolio? And let's be clear about this as well. We're talking about 10% is some abstract number. You know, the Dow has crossed over 17,000. So 10%, I think I can do that math, 1,700 points. It's going <laughs> to seem bad. It's oh, going to yeah. seem bloody. It, the headlines are going to be screaming, get out of the market. Oh, absolutely. And, as, and I think as we look at this, and whether a correction, you know, becomes a bear market or worse, a crash. I mean, those are big words. And I read the book recently, The History of Wall Street. Right. The word crash came out of some issues back early on 200 years ago. Uh, I think the answer is that it's always possible for a correction. It's always possible. Always for a possible. But most corrections don't become crashes. Right. That's number one. And every, you know, this period that we go through, most of them turn out to have been something of an opportunity for the fullness in the future of the market. So I think that's the way you've got to look at it. It's an opportunity. And I think Jonathan did a great job of couching that in terms of, you know, you've got to focus on your plan. You've got to focus on what type of investor you are. Well, real quick, I need people to understand, recently there's a Supreme Court ruling that came out nine to nothing in June about a somebody saying an inherited IRA could be, you know, uh, something they could keep from being in a bankruptcy. Another Uh, change in the rules about inherited IRAs. Consult a professional. Yeah, you can't do it. I want to thank Jonathan McAllister. Jonathan, great job. Rusty Leonard, CEO and founder of Stewardship Partners. I want to thank Art Frederick, our program director. Francis Fortner, our guest coordinator. Eleanor Moskovitz and Katie Brazier, who also work on our show as production assistants. Jeff Long, our compliance officer. Drew Johnson, who writes our Mid-South History Moments. And Rebecca Brazier, who reads them. I'm Keith Quinn. And I'm Jim Shoemaker. Please join us next week when we'll help you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.